0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. A disciple is not just someone who knows the information. It is someone who does what Jesus does and teaches what Jesus taught for the same reason Jesus did and taught those things. And if you look, the disciples in this text, the 72 are sent out to do what Jesus did, to go to the towns he was going to go to, and to teach what Jesus taught the kingdom of God for the same reason Jesus did it. That's the motivation. And so we're doing that through those four M's. So in, up, and out. That we are called in, radically in, to be close to Jesus. And that he comes and he becomes bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. He becomes so close that no one can get closer. But then that we are called also up, that is in prayer and praise and worship and trust and connecting to God throughout all things, that there is a transcendent quality in our life that is not just about the here and now, but an eternal quality that you are called directly by God to be in an up relationship with him. And then we are also called radically out. And this text really pushes that, if you want to say, by calling us radically out to those around us, okay? So... This is utterly different, by the way, than how the world looks at um, who we are and what we're about. You know, our culture and our society these days, more or less, look at life as accidental. Did you realize that? It's basically, you know, why biological life even exists is, well, it happened. That's about as good as you can get it right? And so there's no real deep purpose. There's no meaning. You're not sent to do anything. You don't have a mission. And in fact, you uh, just kind of bump along through life. Now, there is this Um, German philosopher, you probably never heard of him, and you probably never need to, but I'm going to share it, okay? His name is Martin Heidegger. He was in the mid-20th century, and Heidegger basically said the real experience that most people experience in this world is this wonderful German word, Geworfenheit. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of sounds like Farfignugin, right? (laughs) Don't they have that, you know? But Geworfenheit means that you're thrown out. Into the world, just kind of cast out, spit out, there you are. It's kind of like, you know, I don't remember being born, but the babies cry, right? And can you imagine after being this comfortable, you know, having this wonderful experience of just kind of just, ah, this is great, and then whoops, I'm out in this world and bright lights and wah. Well, that's kind of the experience. That he says is not just about birth, but is throughout life that you're just kind of thrown out into the world. And you can't figure out why you're here or what you're about. I remember still, um, gosh, I guess, at least it was over 20 years ago, out in California. um, Our church at that time in the Central Valley of California, we went over to Pismo Beach State Park. And um, great place water really cold, okay, it's California, 58 degrees, but we camped there for the weekend as a church, and I had the youth take out the first kind of Sony digital video cam recorder with those little tapes, because we wanted to create a video to talk about, you know, just purpose and meaning in life questions, and so we started going around the campground saying, hey, hey, we're just, we're a youth group, and we're just asking this one question, what is your purpose in life? And I still remember this one individual Lady in her mid-30s, maybe early 40s, look at us as we ask that question, and she looks back at us and goes like, gee, I never thought about that before. And I'm thinking, you're a human being, you've been around for decades on this planet, and you've never asked the question, why? Or try to figure out why you're here, what you're about? I think a lot of people are like that these days. Have you noticed? And I think they're living out that might not Martin Heidegger's Geworfenheit, Whether they realize that word or think it's just like Farfignugan or not, they're still living it out. That they're just kind of cast out in the world and whatever, you know, blank happens. Just try to have fun while you're kind of going through life. But the gospel for you For everyone who's a follower of Jesus, everyone he calls from the 72 nations, right, that they knew at that time, from the entire world, you are sent. You have a mission. You have a purpose that goes well beyond what you can ever imagine. It is a purpose that God has given you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, Jesus says in the Gospel of John. Your mission, your sentness is as deep and as profound as Jesus himself. And so disciples are those who do what Jesus did and teach what Jesus taught for the reasons Jesus did and taught those things. You're sent. Everyone has a mission and everyone is a messenger, okay? Point two, the messengers. Um, now if we just had, um, you know, this is the second time Jesus sent people out on mission. So the first time is in Luke chapter nine, actually just before this. And if that's the only text we had, he sends out the 12, the apostles, right? And so these apostles are sent out. And, um, if that was all we knew, a lot of us could say, yeah, let the professionals do it, you know, because they're the apostles. Of course they're supposed to do it. Guess what? First of all, The apostles were not professional. Boy, we're all amateurs, okay? We're all amateurs. Um, But secondly, we've got this text of the 72 being sent out. And so there's actually a profound thing about this is everyone is a messenger. You can't get away from that in the Christian church. Everyone is a messenger. Um, Ed Stetzer He um, is a professor now at Wheaton College, and he's a church consultant and has done a lot of understanding of the United States as a mission field. And he says there has been this huge shift, this huge shift in the United States from when there were many, many, many people in the United States who were nominally Christian. They kind of knew about the gospel, and all you really needed to do was to invite them to church because they kind of had somewhat of an understanding and then you get the pastor to have a good sermon and then everybody's happy, right? Um, Now, looking at the demographics of the United States, it's the nominals who are now becoming nuns. And so much so, less and less people even have a smattering of the gospel in their lives, and you're starting from scratch. And he calls us, instead of, to simply inviting, to engaging. That is to befriending, to be partnering with, to be there and be the messenger right wherever you happen to be. And so he says... Our call is to help all Christians more faithfully and fruitfully share the gospel in a society that is less nominally Christian and more intentionally secular. Instead, our call is to help all Christians more faithfully and fruitfully share that. Okay? That's what's going on. And so we see that. And did you know that the messengers that Jesus has, if you look throughout the uh, entirety of the scriptures, the messengers that God had, they're a bunch of messed up people the heroes in the Bible are really anti heroes? So Peter himself was impetuous and a denier. Jeremiah was way too young when he was called. Abraham was way too old. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was called the least of his clan and um, he was afraid. David himself was an adulterer and a murderer and the runt of the litter of his clan. Moses was a stutterer and a murderer. Amos was just a fig picker in Tekoa. Deborah was a woman, and she had that against her in a very patriarchal society at the time. Ruth was a foreigner, and Zacchaeus was a traitor because he was a tax collector. And yet Jesus used every one of them for his kingdom purposes. Every one of them. That's just a partial list. I can't, you can't think of one. The only person I know in the, in the Bible who's kind of like flawless is Jesus. The rest of us, the 72 he sent out. He knows exactly what he's doing. It's his genius at work because that message is for everyone and he can use anyone to proclaim it because he's working through it. So everyone is a messenger and everyone has a message. Now, this is that hot issue I talked about at the beginning where society is thinking it's not even appropriate anymore for anyone to push or to proselytize or to share your convictions with anyone else because those things are totally subjective and they're just your opinions and they really don't matter anyways because they're just value judgments. Have you heard that stuff? Okay. Well, let's look at that objection because I think there's a problem with that problem with Christianity. Okay. First of all, I don't know if you realize this, not in this text, but when he says the kingdom of God, often he uses the term euangelion or good news for the kingdom of God, right? The gospel. And Jesus was not the first one to ever use that word gospel. It was actually used in the Roman world quite often. For example, when Caesar Augustus ascended to the throne, the Priene calendar Said this about him This is the birthday of the god Augustus, the beginning of, and that's the word, the gospel to the world that came by him and by reason of him. In other words, they looked when an emperor went up on the throne and became the emperor, that a god was born, and that this was good news for the entire world because it changed everything in history. And you know how important they thought this was? Guess what? We've got the month of August in our calendar just because Caesar Augustus was on the throne. We have the month of October in our calendar because of Octavian. We have the month of July for Julius Caesar. Do you get it? They said everything changes. It's a history-making event that changes everyone in anything, whether you like it or not. He's on the throne, and guess what? It changes your life, too. That's the term that Jesus uses for his appearing on earth and bringing in the kingdom of God. He's the true gospel compared to the false gospel of a Caesar. He's, The truly objective, historical, life-changing event, his appearing on this planet that now ushers in a whole new era, the kingdom of God, changes everyone and everything, and that's how the Gospel of Mark even starts. In Mark 1.1, it says the Gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the good news. So, we're here to announce good news, this event that's changed everything and affects everyone. So when somebody actually says, hey, it's okay that you believe in Jesus, but just don't push your belief on anyone else, do you know what they're really kind of saying? They're saying, eh, you don't believe in Jesus, because don't try to believe in Jesus. He can't be that gospel, that one thing that's changed everything for everyone and made that much of a difference. It's just a little private thing. In other words, when someone says, don't push your worldview, your faith on others, do you know what they're doing? They're pushing their worldview and their faith. To try to say that no one should push anyone's worldview on someone else is to push a worldview. You just can't get away from it. Everybody is proselytizing. Everybody is trying to convert other people to their opinions, not just in politics, not just in religion, but all the time. We're trying to convince people that we made the right decision or we bought the right car or we live in the right area or our team is better than the other team. We're always convincing what's right, what's wrong. Everybody's doing it. So what's the difference with the gospel? Now, some people do have an objection to how absolute truths in religions have caused countless violence in this world and all sorts of problems and has been abused. And I would agree with that, that that can be a problem. That really can. This last week, um, I got my hair cut, anybody notice? And um, all of them, right? All of them that I still have left. And um, so I, I, I sat down in the chair, and it was a new young woman who was cutting my hair. I thought she looked really trendy, really cool, really hip, hadn't seen her before. We started talking, really loved who, you know, just getting to know her. And um, she had just gotten to this um, place. Um, she's been around the area for years. And then she asked, of course, the question, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, a Christian pastor? Yes, and then hey, no, you know, and and she goes, well, my mother-in-law. And here you get to hear the story, right? How her mother-in-law um, wasn't good news. Okay, her mother-in-law, who's a kind of fundamentalist type Christian, I guess. I wouldn't even say that necessarily. My mother-in-law told me that tattoos are the mark of the beast, and of course, she's got tattoos. <laughs> on her. My mother-in-law also said iPhones and smartphones are also a mark of the beast. And um, my husband and I decided we were getting married on October 31st, Halloween, because we thought that's a cool date. And my mother-in-law said, that's the devil's birthday. She was smart enough to say, but I really didn't think the devil had a birthday. I said, you're right. You're right. And she goes, you know, and I look at the, at the Bible, and I, I really want to read it, but I know it's just a human book. And at that point in time, I just, all I said is, you know, when I read the Bible, I can get hung up on all sorts of stuff. But who I really think you meet in the scriptures is Jesus. And the more that you meet Jesus in the scriptures, I'm just amazed at who he is, what he's done, what he's accomplished, etc. And, uh, you know, you just plant a seed. You really plant a seed. She's a wonderful young woman, couple of children, husband, who's had a lot of bad news preached at her in the name of Jesus. Carl Mediaris really says this. He says, The gospel is not a debate or a list of things to believe. The gospel's a person. Jesus Christ is the gospel. He's the truth. He's the point. He embodies all of salvation, redemption, forgiveness, freedom stuff himself. And because he is a personality, he does not require doctrinal mastery to connect with him as an individual. So you share the good news of Jesus. You know, Jesus says in this text, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. When I am sharing when I am witnessing when I'm the me- when I share the message I want to make sure the one thing if anything's going to be rejected if anyone's going to ever reject it's not because of my personality my attitude my know-it-allness my arrogance my whatever but that they've heard and seen the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and who he is and if they reject him okay I'll live with that now, one more point about this worldview thing, because I think this is important. I understand it's not necessarily popular, but imagine this. We're saying that Jesus Christ is the one historically objective reality, the good news who's entered this planet, God himself in the flesh, and has changed everything for everyone and is available to anyone at any time, right? Right? And you can just trust and believe in him, and you have that gift. Can you imagine being a research scientist and discovering the cure? Not like an improvement in life, not like um, a couple of more extended years, but the cure for cancer, every cancer, any cancer. But, you know, you don't want to push your idea on everyone else. So you kind of keep it to yourself and you hope people might discover it. And, there, and you could say, well, there are a lot of different ways that possibly cancer is cured and some people are in remission from all the other ways that we've got right now. And there are some real promising hopes over here and here and here. So, you know, I just don't want to, you know, impose. You know how ridiculous that is, right? He's the key. It's like I was talking with some guys uh, a couple weeks ago, and I pulled out, he's the key. here's the key to my house. I know there's thousands of keys out there. Millions, right? And they open a lot of things, and there's truth maybe behind a lot of those doors. There's maybe truth in a lot of ways. We don't claim that all truth is encompassed, but this is the key to my house. It works every time. You can open the door, you get in. You have what's there, right? Now, there might be a lot of other keys. Maybe some would work in our house, I don't know. But why would I share anything other than the key I know that works every time? And that's what Jesus has said about himself. Now, you can say, oh, okay, I just don't know. He's a little too exclusive. He's saying he's the key for everyone in every place and everything. Well, he does that a lot. So it's, but he's the key. He opens the door. And we, as in, in the gospel presentation, it's not like I tell you, oh, you know, Christy, there's a key somewhere. It works every time it opens the door to eternal life with God. I hope you find it or here's the map and if you just do a real diligent search, you might get the treasure at the end, the key. What happens in the gospel every time that you share Jesus is here's the key. He's yours. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? Sorry, I need the key back. (laughs) Get your own key. (laughs) Um, that's what we're saying. And it brings us to point four real quick here, the motivation. There are ways to share this truth, this truth about Jesus in ways that is not helpful. And it kind of seems to have happened in this text because the 72 come back rejoicing and they're stoked. But do you know what they're stoked about? Oh, look at that. The demons, man, they were subject to us. Yeah. High five. High five. I don't think they did high fives then, but you understand, right? And instead, Jesus says this to them. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits were subjected to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He says the real key is you've got an identity. You've got something already given. You've got everything that is yours already. Because this is actually past Tense, perfect. You have been written in heaven. It's yours. So don't find your identity in the power and the victory that you've got over this. First of all, they weren't celebrating the fact that people were forgiven and liberated and healed. They were celebrating their power and how they looked. And he said, that's the wrong way to go. It's about the motivation. It's doing what Jesus did, teaching what Jesus taught for the reasons Jesus didn't taught those things. And Jesus taught and did those things, even sending out the 72 Out of love and compassion and total service, your names are written in heaven. No one can erase it. Like um, Phil said, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing. What does it mean in that day and age to have your names written down? Well, in a town... Any town, there was a registry, but this was before printing. This was before mass production, no photo. Can you imagine, right? And to have your name written was a big deal. Because only those who were citizens, those who were of some importance, would have their names written down. And Jesus is saying, your names are written down. You are known by God. You've got all the significance. You've got all the worth, all the purpose of eternity behind you. You don't go out and witness to do anything but to gain a friend and to serve. The right motivation. We are lambs that are sent out. It's a little scary, but he doesn't send out the lions. He doesn't send out the marines. He doesn't send out the people who have their act together. He sends out lambs in the midst of wolves because the message itself is that we are here to serve others. And just think about this. Jesus was the lamb who lived in the midst of the wolves, who walked all the way to the cross and was crucified there as the lamb. He was shut out. He was locked out of the kingdom on that cross so that that door would be open for you. He was excluded so you are included. He was pushed away and rejected so you are accepted by God. Isn't that amazing? The genius of Jesus. The mission, the messengers, the message, the motivation. Ordinary broken people he uses. As messengers, and the message is Jesus himself in Jesus' way for the sake of love and grace, for the sake of others. Now, you might be here this morning... You might have come just out of curiosity. Maybe you've been burned many times by someone, whether well-intentioned or not, who is doing one-up on you in some way, whether they knew it or not, and were just kind of doing some God talk at you and, and telling you should and you shouldn't. And it wasn't good news at all, but bad news. And you think all religion is like that. And that you just can't, you got to do that pluralistic thing and saying, hey, everything's okay. I'm not going to buy into anything because I've seen all the damage that's been done by people who claim absolutes anywhere. Well, I'm not here to share with you, even though we've talked about worldview or philosophy, we're here to just present Jesus in his fullness as the way, the truth, and the life, as the key that can open your heart, your future for him. And he's right here. It's not like we don't believe he's like next door, or up there, or maybe in a few days. He's right here for you right now. And that's what we're hoping, that you would receive him today. Welcome him in, and let him be the key that unlocks everything, your purpose, your mission, the message, the hope, your eternity. Let's pray. Lord God, again, the genius of Jesus to send out 72. We ask, Lord, that you'd actually, as you are that message itself, the one who exemplified it and lived it and um, that you'd come into our hearts and lives right now, wherever we're at, we welcome you in. We accept your you as the message. We may not understand everything, but we don't have to, Lord. We can just trust you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for giving us that faith to believe. Help us, O Lord, to follow you every day and to be that messenger. We pray, Lord, this week for those that we encounter, that we may be like the 72, that we don't rejoice in what might happen this week, but in the fact that our names are written in heaven because of your goodness and grace. We look forward, O Lord, to just two weeks from now on Easter, and we just pray that you'd use each one of us here to share that gospel hope in some way, to invite people to be part of the message. Send us out on mission. All this we pray, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.